You're listening to a DM podcast. Just a quick warning, this podcast series contains discussions about crime, trauma, sexual abuse, drug use and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. I used to rob banks in the 80s and 90s and did 23 years in prison in three different states. It took 30 years to talk about the sexual abuse that happened to me and the spiral into crime, addiction and depression that all occurred as a result. Now, having turned my life around, I talk openly to inspirational people about trauma, survival, transformation and hope. I am Russell Manser and this is The Stick Up. Michael Cephalus, otherwise known by his rap name, Enter, has had a tough start to life. Losing his mother at a young age, he ventured into crime and drugs, but was saved by the rap culture. He, uh, he was a pioneer, went on to do some amazing things in rap, but also a strong family man. A proud father of five, Enter sings about getting caught up in a life of crime and rising above it all to make a difference with his music. Michael Sophilus, a.k.a. Enter, welcome to The Stick Up. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Mate, I've been just... I, I, this morning I've been researching you. Wow, what a story. Like, I, I even said to you there's a movie in this. Mate, where does the name Enter come from? Uh, so when I was a kid, uh, I was always doing... Um, I was always doing break and enters yeah. all the time. Um, so, and then I got into... I got into um, into music and I was looking for a name and then one of the boys was like, well, bro, you're always doing break and enter. Just call yourself break and enter or break. Mm. Uh, but there was a graffiti writer. He used to write break. So I was just like, I'll just call myself enter, you know what I mean? Just shorten it down. And then, yeah, that's how that's how the name come about. Just tell us a bit about your upbringing. Where did you grow up and what was your family life like? So I was born in Kalgoorlie in uh, Western Australia. Uh, we've... Um, my brother, my older brother, and then when I was two, we moved from Kalgoorlie to Maitland. It's in like it's in the Newcastle region, in the Hunter Valley, yeah. Yeah, a little town called Rutherford. Yeah. So I lived there till I was ten. But yeah, growing up, it was it was it was good and bad. Like you take the good with the bad. So Mum was like an alcoholic. Would go to church, find God for six months, and then you know what I mean, relapse and that. But my mum did it real tough, you know. She, um, we used to get up at like five in the morning and and get picked up in this big dusty, dirty truck, you know. And she'd go and pick potatoes all day on a farm, like two hours out of our town. And I'd have to go with her sometimes, you know what I mean. And we'd pick potatoes as well, like that was. And all the little local alcoholics from the area, like from from where we lived, that that was like their thing to get their booze, you know what I mean. So like we 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 done it rough growing up, but she done the best she could, like. She done, she done the best she could with what she was given, you know what I mean? Trying to raise two kids. My dad was a piece of shit. He wasn't there. So, Man, you had a pretty amazing relationship with your mother, didn't you? Yeah, because, you know, my, bro- my brother lived with us until he was about uh, maybe 12. I would have been about eight. And then he got sent away to live with my dad because he was just fucking up, you know. He was just... He was, my mum couldn't control him. She didn't, she didn't know what to do, you know. We had... There was no help from any family. There was... He was always in trouble, you know, he was robbing the neighbours' houses, like stealing, just just, just causing absolute chaos. So she sent him away. So then it was just, for two years, it was just me and mum. I had my mum to myself, you know. So I really got to bond with her when it was just me and her. Like, we done everything together, you know. Walked me to and from school, picked me up. Um, 
just just was just done so much above and beyond for me you know what I mean and I never went without when I was with my mum even though she had her demons and you know her struggles with the alcohol and all of that sort of stuff like she always made sure that I was looked after put me first you know what I mean so I was really really tight with my mum it's obvious that your mum really expressed a lot of love to you yeah yeah she did she um she always reminded me, she always made sure she told me that she loved me, you know. That was my mum's last words to me, you know what I mean, before she passed away. It's like sort of like something out of a movie, but it was true, you know. That's the last thing she said before I went to sleep and she went to sleep, She just, you know. So I'll always like carry that close to me. But, yeah, every kid needs, every human being needs to be loved, you know what I mean. It's not something that you can go through life without. People might think, oh... No one loves me, no one cares, but there's someone that loves you, you know what I mean? What happens to people, you reckon, that don't receive love? Mate, they become cold. We would have, You would have seen it. I've seen plenty of it in, in prison. Yeah. I've seen people that have a propensity for violence, yeah. have a tendency of to really, you know, not have had a lot of love in their life. Yeah, they just become cold. Yeah. They just become immune to being by themselves and not caring about anyone or anything. Mate, I just want to touch on something. I lived at Maitland too, mate. I lived in the jail there. I was there for about 18 months. So fucking biggest house in the street, I used to say. Yeah. You moved from there into the houses, did you? Nah, so where I lived with my mum, that was housing commission. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we were there. I was there from when I was five till 10. That was all, that was just the whole street, both sides. So there was, it ran back four streets. That was all, the whole block was all housing commission. You know what I mean? But they weren't units. They weren't flats. They were actually just houses, but they all intertwined. They all they all connected to each other by laneways, you know what I mean? It's very similar to Mount Druitt. Yeah, so you could get to like four streets over just by walking up the back of a laneway or jump the back fence and you're in the next quad, so. Mate, we used to have that in Mount Druitt and then, then the coppers had got all the laneways blocked off so we couldn't, because we, when we were in car chases and stuff like that, they knew we'd have them covered in the car chase, jumping one of those laneways and bang, yeah. you're gone, they were never going to catch up. Mate, what were the people like growing up in those areas? They were different. They were like it was like country in a way. You know what I mean? Like I used to wear like jeans and and and, and boots and 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 flannel shirts. You know mm. what I mean? Like no shit. I used to on the weekend and you know like out riding our push bikes on dirt roads. At the, they had an abandoned abattoir there, so we used to ride our bikes down there. You know, it was all knocked down, but you could still go through there. It was just that community there where I lived. It was just they were all alcoholics. Yeah, you know what I mean. It was like a community of alcoholics. Like, do you think they were bonded by their traumas? Yeah, probably. Yeah. My mum had a lot of demons and she bonded with other people that had their... Trauma bonds. And that's what they'd do. They'd get together and just drink over it, you know? Yeah. Mate, who? So who did you look up to as a kid? Did you have any role models? Nah. I didn't know what a father figure felt like growing up, you know what I mean? I never had one. Like, my mum had boyfriends and that, but they were just pieces of shit, you know? They'd get drunk, they'd flog her, they'd beat her around and then they'd take off and never see him again, you know what I mean? But I never had that sort of one-on-one bond with anyone where they would teach me how to change a bike tyre or teach me how to change my shoelace or teach me how to tell the time or any of that sort of stuff that a dad does with a kid. I never threw a football in the backyard with my dad or played cricket down the park. Never done that with a male role model, you know what I mean? I never had it. So I didn't really look up to anybody, you know what I mean? Like, uh, even now, if I watch a movie and... I see the dad and the son playing, I get really emotional about it, you know what I mean? Like, it brings back memories of, like, things I didn't have or, like, if I'm watching a movie and I see a son and their mum, you know what I mean, doing certain things, I get really emotional because, like, it just brings back certain memories, certain trigger points of, like, fuck, you know what I mean? I know what that's like and then I know what it's like not to have that, you know what I mean? Like, 
yeah, certain things trigger, bring back childhood memories from from not having role models or being through certain situations. I I, I, I see, and you know, I, I ring you, and, and I can hear hear you, your relationships with your own kids, and everything yeah. that you see in those things, you give your kids, don't you? Everything, everything, like. I always said to my missus, you know, I'm not going to spoil our kids, you know what I mean, but I spoil them, you know, like I don't want them to go without, you know, like I did, you know, like if my eldest daughter wants a pair of shoes or, or, or something like that, I go and get it, you know what I mean? Um, I just try and give them the, the best life possible, one that I that I never had. I just don't want them to ever grow up and think back and say, oh, we did it tough, you know what I mean? Or my mum and dad done it hard, you know what I mean? Like I want them to know, say, yeah, my dad got up, he went out, he busted his ass. He done the best he could to give us the best upbringing that we've had, you know. Mate, when did the trouble sort of start in your life? So when Mum died when I was ten, I moved to Sydney with my auntie, my mum's sister. She had her own problems with drugs as well. She was a heroin addict. I didn't know at first, you know what I mean. None of the family really knew. When I had a choice, like when Mum died, so I could go with my auntie, my mum's eldest sister, in um, like Hurstville. Or I could have went to my other auntie that lived over here in uh, Lilyfield in Leichhardt. And um, it was sort of like who could pitch the best story to get me to go with him, you know what I mean? It's like if you come here, you're going to have this. If you come here, you're going to have that, you know what I mean? And I was just a little kid that just lost their mum on their birthday, you know. My mum died on my actual birthday. Mm. So it's like fuck, you know what I mean? So I went with my auntie, my mum's eldest sister, and when I got there, it was just like nothing that I was told. You know, it was just a fool. It was just a shit show. It was just a nightmare, you know. Like, she done her best as well, don't get me wrong, but you can't raise six kids and have a heroin addiction and try and have a stable household. It just, it's not going to work mm-hmm. at all. And you're dealing, how were you dealing with your, you know, how were you grieving back then? Like, did you, do you know what grieving was or did you? No, I just... I was sort of left to my own devices, you know. Like No one was talking you through it? No. I got no sort of mental support. I didn't speak to anybody about mum dying. Um, nothing. There was, I, I didn't no one spe- sort of explained you what you're going to be going through and did anyone reassure you that no. they were going to be there for you? No, nothing. I, I, I just, mum died. We had a funeral and then the next thing you know, I'm in a car on the way to Sydney and I started school the next two weeks and life kicked on. I didn't, none of my family still to this day, if I bring mum up, they don't really talk about her, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, there's just, it's like she's just forgotten, you know and what I mean? And she's really dear to your heart. I, 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 yeah. Man, I, you, you talk about so passionately about your mother. Yeah. You're living with your auntie, there's six kids. What, what what does your day look like? It just, like me and my cousins, we sort of made do with what we had, you know. Like, it was fun. We, we would have little playtimes out the back where, you know, we'd go and climb over the broken down cars in the back or whatever like that. But from living with my mum where my house was tidy, I had clean clothes, things were normal, I was going to bed at a normal time, I was waking up at a normal time to where I was sharing a room with two other cousins on a mattress on the floor. I didn't even have my own pair of shoes, you know what I mean? My first day of school, I went to school with a pair of shoes that were two sizes too big for me and a shirt that smelled like cat piss. Wow. And that was like a regular thing, you know, like 
there was cats and dogs in the house and they'd just piss on everything and it's like you hang your shirt out to get dry and the cats come along and pissed on it well you don't have time to fucking clean that shirt in the morning i don't have another shirt i'm wearing one of my cousin's shirts it's too big for me you know what i mean so you just have to make do but when i was always acting out at school you know what i mean i couldn't settle i wouldn't listen to anybody and i think that was my way of dealing with what was going on in my head you know what i mean like i wasn't out causing trouble in the street but i was just causing trouble in school you know like not listening, stealing from other kids' bags, like stealing money, then going to the can in the order lunch because I was hungry. Like that was like an everyday thing, you know what I mean? The best days were Fridays because you'd have a K to six assembly. So you have kids from kindergarten in year six all in the one assembly. So I'd just swoop on every bag, bang, bang, bang. I didn't give a fuck who it was. Kindergarten kids, they got ganked, you know? Like, so it was just, it's just how it was. Like, you know, we'd go to school with like a bottle of water and a pack of chips and a piece of fruit. Like that just wasn't me that was my cousins as well you know then my older cousins they were old enough to leave the house and go and make money and do what they were doing they were real my oldest cousin was like real knee deep in, the, in, in crime you know what I mean so he was coming home with money and giving it to his mum to get groceries and all that sort of stuff but not, it, didn't, it didn't always happen like that you know Was there much love in that house? Nah not really not no. really nah like her her husband he worked for he worked for, he was a maintenance and engineer maintenance and engineer supervisor for Qantas, so he was never there. You know what I mean? And like, he loved motorbikes, like he worked on Harleys and that. And so and I, I used to love motorbikes as, as a kid as well. So I would always go to the shed and see what he was doing and I'd say, you know, he'd be fixing the engine. I'd say, What are you doing? And he'd say, What does it look like I'm doing? I don't know, that's why I asked. I'm building a block of flats, fuck off, get out, you know what I mean? And yeah. I was like, Fuck, I'm trying to bond with you, man. I've never had this before. I'm trying to, you know what I mean? So I was just like and he wasn't like he was like. How did that feel? Was that sort of obviously it's rejection? How did you? F- yeah, you just walk out of the shed. You just stop and think. Fuck, I feel like a goose. You know what I mean? Like he's in there by himself. As if he doesn't want to speak to someone while he's doing anything. But he's always been like that. You know what I mean? That just wasn't rejecting me because I wasn't one of his kids. He's he's still to this day. He's still like that. Like even when I see him, I say, "What are you doing?" Not much. That's it. He's a man of few words. You know, good bloke. Very mm. good bloke. Um, but. I don't know, I guess he's just like, his, his father was like that with him, you know, so. Mate, when did the, like, you started getting in trouble with the law? When did, the, when did that sort of start? And what age? And what what were you doing? It's about 14, mm. 13, 14. So I started pinching cars at first. And they weren't even to do anything in. They would just say we're at a party far away, like in another area, and we missed the last train back, we'd pinch a car and drive it home, you know what I mean? Mm. We'd just pinch cars to drive around Hurstfield in all the time. It got to a point where it's like, we can use this car to make money, mm. you know? We can cart what we're stealing, or we can drive it through some... You can drive it through a sunglass hut, or you can drive it through a, 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 sh- a shoe shop or a clothes shop, and we can load it up with as much as we want, we can get away, you know what I mean? We don't have to load it into a trolley by breaking into the back door. I started doing graffiti as well. So I started getting into trouble for graffiti more than I was crime. Like yeah. I was getting caught with no ticket, or trespassing on the train tracks, or spitting on transit officers. Getting were, caught with a texter on me. Were you artistic? Did you show some artistic flair as a young fellow? I couldn't really, like, piece, like, do pieces on walls and that, but I was I always bombed. I was, I was more of a bomber, you know what I mean? Yeah. I cared more about getting my name up on, on every train. Can you just running. explain the difference? Because, you know, for the listeners, can you explain the difference between a graph artist and a bomber? So a graph, a graph artist is, like, someone that will go out and roll the roll a legal wall and spend two three hours like doing a mad piece you know what i mean decorating it coloring it so it's artistic flair yeah you know what i mean they can do that shit they go into train yards and they do it as well you know what i mean 
But then you've got a bomber who just wants to destroy everything. Doesn't care what he's just will just destroy. You know what I mean? Shop front windows, people's garages, buses, vans, like trains, insides, outside, windows, the roofs, the doors, just will destroy and it. Put your name all over it, yeah. Everywhere. Do you think that was you acting out? Yeah, probably. Like I just wanted to get my name up, you know what I mean? Like You wanted to be recognised, yeah? Yeah, I just wanted to be recognised for doing something. You know, mm. even though it was stupid, it was graffiti. But to me, it meant like it meant people everything. just because it'll say attention seeking. That's not unusual for a, a young person going through trauma. Nah, not that's at all. Man, that's part of your trauma. Yeah, mate. Um, so, what was your first uh, encounter with the police? Uh, I was we were going to do a break and then it was like three o'clock in the morning. I remember it, and we're walking through, we're walking down to Kingsgrove. And the coppers rolled past, and then, like, we just kept walking, and then they rolled back around, they'd done a U-turn, and they, what, they said, what are you doing? I said, oh, we're going to the bakery, you know what I mean? Get something to eat. Like, where do you live? I'm like, Hurstville. They're like, mate, how old are you? I'm like, I'm 14. He's like, mate, don't you have to be at home? Like, don't, where's your parents? I'm like, my parents are dead. He's like, so who do you live with? I'm like, I live with my auntie. And then I'm like, I'm with my cousins, you know, but they were both, like, 16, 17. Mm. I'm like, I'm with my guardians, you know, trying to play the guardian card. They're like, no, get in the paddy wagon, we're taking you home, you know. And, um, yeah, they took my home. My, my auntie, she just, I remember them knocking on the door. Like, oh, we found him wandering the streets, you know. She's like, no, no, he was at his friend's house playing video games. He's just walking home. And then she's like, well, he told us he was going to the bakery. She's like, oh, you know, he's probably going there to get something to eat, you know. She's playing the <laughs> she game as you well. back. <laughs> yeah, and then she's like, doesn't he go to school? Like, he, it's a school night, you know. And then she's like, you just let me worry about how I raised my son, this and that. And then that was really it. I got inside. I didn't nothing i just rolled over like walked to the to the back room where i was where i had a mattress on the floor and just crashed out you know what i mean like when you you know you get pinched for your first pinch and you go before the courts my first charge was reckless wounding common assault and affray it's a heavy one yeah to kick it off with the first time i ever got charged so and what did that entail so that was i was at bondi junction i was with my older brother but my older brother's little you know he's old, he's older than me but he's smaller you know what I mean? Everyone, his nickname, everyone calls him Smurf. I was, he was with his missus, and I was coming there to see him and that. And he's like, he's like, them blokes over there. He goes, they, 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 they rolled me last week for my shoes when I come out of Foot Locker. I said, what do you mean they rolled you? He goes, they took my shoes off me. I said, did you get them back? He's like, nah. I said, I'll go sort it out for you. You know what I mean? So I walked over to the bloke. I said, oh yeah. I said, fucking, you know, thinking I was a hero. Just carrying on. I said, fucking, where's my brother's shoes? You know what I mean? So like, who's your brother? I said, him over there. I said, you took his shoes last week. I said, where's the shoes? And I didn't even let him get to say anything, you know what I mean? Like, and had a lighter in my hand. I, I put the lighter in my hand and I closed, I don't know, what it would, for, I thought it would do. And I remember just hitting him. And he was like, I closed my eyes when I hit him too. And he was on the ground and he was just laying there like full, like sort of like season, you know? So I took off running, like, and then he jumped on the train and then took off like back to Hurstville. And then this was when Bebo was out. Remember that? Oh no, you would have been in jail. Mm. So they had this thing called Bebo. It was like, it was like a social media page before Facebook was out. Just around when MySpace kicked off. And um, someone had filmed it and put it on, the in, like on that Bebo. You know what I mean? And this kid had seen it. And then he's gone to my Bebo and got like my full name and gone to the police and had me charged. Yeah, next thing you know, I was on the train and I had, didn't have a train ticket on me and the coppers pulled me over and bang, that was it. They got a warrant out for your arrest. What court did you go to? Um, Pajura? 
Cob- no. uh, Mindo? No, I had to. This happened in Bondi, so I had to go to. Central local? Yeah. Yeah. For that, I got an eight month suspended sentence. And then the next charge was a fray and assault. We had gone to a fight at a pub and it kicked, like, spilled out. Like, I was just chilling, you know what I mean? I was just kicking back. And then the boys got into a scuffle with these, like, surfy kind of guys, you know what I mean? From Oatley, like, near Cronulla Way. Big surfy boys, you know what I mean? And it just kicked off and it spilled, like, out the front, in the dance floor and that. And I've gone to walk out the front and I've just been full ragdolled by this big surfy dude, man, just full threw me out, like, threw me out the doors, you know what I mean? I've, as he's thrown me, I've got up and I've looked in the doors and, like, seen ten of my mates come out and he's seen it too, so he's taken off across the park. And we just we just shot through straight, chasing him to the park, you know what I mean? And once we got him in the park, he had no help. No one even knew who was in the park, it was pitch black, you know? Yeah, he got jumped in the park, the bloke. And um, I had a I had a hand in that as well. I regret that. That was that's the one thing I actually regret that that growing up doing what everything I've done. Like, you know what I mean? Like he sued me for it. I had to pay. I had to pay him money for it. And then yes, because I and I got charged with that. And then because of that, I broke the eight months of suspended sentence. So I had to go to first time in jail. Was it jail or no? Yeah, it was jail. jail All yeah. my juvenile charges they were, they were, they were never like, done juvie. You know? nah, no, I, I had that. I had Michael Blair as a lawyer. Oh yeah, good lawyer, you know Michael. I mean? Yeah. So yeah, he got me off a lot of stolen motorbikes, intimidate police, um, five or six ag breaks, like, you know what I mean? Always dumb. Even Makes a finger- difference having a good lawyer, mate, doesn't yeah, it? fingerprints or blood or, you know what I mean? Like, um, so I went straight to jail. I went straight to Long Bay. Where'd you go to? Seven, eight, nine, ten wing? Nine wing. Yeah, nine wing. Yeah, yeah nine wing. Because I was, because my uncle, he's in a motorcycle club, they had me down as affiliation. Yeah. I'll just explain. When you got an affiliation... With uh, certain bikey gangs have got certain jails, yeah. and and the Long Bay was for the Banditos and Hell's Angels, yeah, and and maybe and others, and then Commos would have had uh, Silverwater at the time. It was Commos and Rebels at Silverwater at the time because when I was at Silverwater, they had me on Segro, and I bumped into a Rebel that I knew. You mm. know what I mean? He's come up, and he's going to me, "What are you doing in this jail?" Like, what do you mean? What am I doing in the jail? You know what I mean? He goes, "This is a rebel jail." I said, "Brother, I'm not a fucking bikey." You know, I go, "You know that as well." Like he was in the club with my uncle, and he jumped ship. To, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Terry was mailing you to get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, he gave me the heads up. He's like, "You know," he goes, "You can't be here." In that. You know what I mean? I said, "Well, well, because just the, I just want to elaborate on that because certain bikey gangs can have beef with each other and they can't be in the same jail together." Yeah. So he's like. You can't be here. I said, yeah, I know where I can and can't be. I said, but I'm not I'm not buzzing up. You know what I mean? I said, I'll wait till I go on escort. Two, three days later, I ended up going on escort anyway to Long Bay. But, um, and my uncle was already there, the one that that took me in when my mum died. You know, he was already there. So um, I moved straight. I went straight in with him, straight into his cell. So, and then that's when I sort of really got to bond with him a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, after him. What did you learn about him? Like... When you're in a prison cell with someone, you learn a lot about someone. He didn't really let off much. No. Even then, even that, you know, six, seven months we were there, he didn't really give much, you know what I mean? Like, we'd lay in bed at night, I'd be on the top bunk, he'd be on the bottom, and I'd go to talk to him or something, you know, and he just he just wouldn't say much, you know what I mean? It was weird. Like, mm. it, was, it, was, it was weird. Is this the same uh, guy that you approached when he was working on his bike in the yeah. shed? Yeah, yeah. It's my uncle. My, this is my um, my my auntie's husband. 
when I got to the cell, I thought, fuck, this is going to be awkward. You know what I mean? Like, we don't have anything in common. But I didn't want to share a cell with, like, some random. Yeah. You know, I was only freshly 18, straight to a maximum security jail. And, like, I was scared, yeah. you know what I mean? Anyone that says, oh, I wasn't cool. scared. I, I, pff, mate, I shit myself. You know what? Man, I used to go back to jail after doing 20 years. Like, I'd go after – and I'd still – I was yeah. still apprehensive. Yeah, so – I felt a bit of comfort being there with him, you know. I knew, like, nothing really bad would happen because I'm there with him. He's got his whole crew there. Where did the creativity start for the rap, rap music? Did it start in a prison cell or...? Nah. So my older cousin used to DJ. He was a mad DJ. And then he, he, he linked up with this girl. She was rapping. Her name was Sky High, you know what I mean? She's just from around here. She was rapping and then she, them two linked up, you know what I mean? And they, he started going over there rapping and they started recording their, like, their little tracks and that. And then one day, and then he got locked up, you know what I mean? So I was communicating with her on uh, MySpace. And she's like, can you rap? And I don't know why I said it. I'm like, yeah, I can rap, you know what I mean? <laughs> Never tried it in my life, you know what I mean? But um, she's like, I'll come over one day, you know, and we'll do something. I'm like, all right, sweet. So funny enough, I ended up going over there. She, she basically schooled me on music. Like, I didn't know who Lil Wayne was. I didn't know, like, who Young Jeezy was. I didn't know none of these rappers, you know, Hot Boys, none of them, Birdman, any of them, you know, Free Six Mafia, any of that. So she, like, gave me the rundown. She's like, these rappers here, she's like, you might not have heard of them. She goes, but they're, like, rich. She goes, they're famous in their hood, you know what I mean? She's like, they're hood famous. She goes, that's what we want to be. You know, we don't want to be mainstream. So she already had a plan for what she wanted to do way before anything, you know. She wanted to have a crew that was underground in Sydney and it was like it was like a free six mafia type crew in Australia, you know? Just brought that real gutter out in their music. And then my cousin ended up getting bail, so he come out. And then we just started working on music together, you know? Had you shown any sign of creativity before this? Nah, like towards that? Nah, none. So you come in by default? Yeah, just <laughs> eight you know mile I'm saying, it until you make yeah, it. Yeah, eight mile come out and I was like, fuck. You know what I mean? Like, I used to love that movie. I used to watch it every second day. So would it be fair to say that Eminem might have been your first inspiration? Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. Like, I couldn't really I couldn't really relate to Eminem's music, you know? Like, there were some songs I could, but there was other songs where, you know, he's, he's talking about killing, like, people. Like, just, the, you know, you know his music. You know, you know Unborn I mean? Baby, real, you know, yeah, old mate real, Stan. Real twisted, and yeah. his song Kim, he talks about dragging his missus through the woods. and <laughs> So... <laughs> and what was your... What was your inspiration for your own your own rap? Just my life, really. Like, because I, I didn't really speak to doctors or shrinks and that growing up, you know what I mean? Like, I had a lot of shit I wanted to talk about, get off, get out of my head, get off my chest, you know what I mean? And music was an avenue for me to do that. So, like, our crew in, in Sydney, we started this whole, this whole wave of, like, talking about crime in music. We started that. And there's, <clears throat> there's no doubt that you guys were pioneers. There's no doubt. No doubt about it. You can ask anybody in Australian rap scene that knows their music, they will say Sydney Searchers kicked it off. We were the pioneers of, like, the whole gutter, the whole gutter wave. And then you've got waves that evolved from that, you know what I mean? Like... I was away for a long time. I started to see it come in prison. I started yeah. seeing one bloke would be on the top lane, one bloke would be... And they having rap battles at the back. Yeah. And I'd, mate, I'd turn my music off and put my book down and go, fuck, and how good yeah. is this? And I was the first to say that's like, mate, I'm, I'm a bit older than that sort of the culture. And I was the first to say that's fucking talent. Yeah. When I, f I first started writing like, when I'd write music, I'd start writing like street music, you know, about like 
doing breaking inners and riding around in stolen cars and all that sort of stuff. But then as I got older and I evolved into doing more sort of serious crimes, you know what I mean, and started making money for myself and, you know what I mean, not following footsteps, making my own footsteps, I started putting more of that into How music. important is that for you? Yeah. To be your own man? I didn't really have anyone to follow, you know what I mean? And I had to teach that being a man shit to myself, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't have anyone there to teach me how to shave or all that sort of shit, you know what I mean? Like, what what dads do. I had to learn all of that myself. I was my own man and I was happy with how I was, like, raising myself, you know? So, just go back to the, the prison sentence. How long did you actually serve before you got out? I think it was six months. Yeah, it was eight with a non-parole period of six what was it like to get released? Oh, it was crazy. I got released from Windsor. So the John Maroney one or two? Um, the minimum? Yeah, the minimum. John Maroney two. Two, two yeah. yeah. So the last two weeks of my sentence, they, I went on escort to Windsor. They said they had to release me from a um, C2 jail. Minimum, C2 is a representation of minimum security prison. I want to talk about, and what I, like, I read the play pretty good here. I can see where the engine room is. What about you? Where did the relationship start with your girl? Oh. She's, the, she's like the heart and soul of your operation, isn't she? Yeah. When I was like 15, mm. 14. I met her when I was in year eight and she was in year seven. And she's just been my best friend ever since then. Like, it, like just there's no words to describe. Like, when you find someone where you know it's real, like, real proper love, you know what I mean? Like, not just saying to you, I love you, like, like it hurts when you're not with him, you know what I mean? Like, you fret for him when you're not with him, like when you're away. Like, when I go away to do things, if I go away for a show or I go away for a youth conference or something, I fret, you know what I mean? I get homesick. So when you find something like that and it's real, like you hold on to it, you know what I mean? There's a lot of people out there say, oh, my girl's a ride or die, or my girl's a real one. Go to jail for fucking eight months and see if your girl's a real one. You know what I mean? I had a girl wait eight years. She was real. She there you was go. real. That's, I get it. I know where you're coming from. Like, and you hold on to it, and that's something I've always held on to. Like, she's been there through like the darkest, darkest times of my life. Like, where any other girl would have thought, you know what, this bloke is a spinner. No fucking way. I'm, I'm going. You know what I mean? But nah, just full back against the wall, stood staunch, and just picked me up when like nobody else would even bother helping me with any. You know what I mean? Like going through bad psychosis and flipping out, thinking I'm hearing voices and I'm saying to her, like, you know, there's a bus coming to our house now, there's a bus coming to our house full of people, they're going to get me, they're going to get me, you know what I mean? And I grabbed the hammer and ran out the front and just so happened to be a bus coming down the other side of the road and I pegged the hammer through the front of the bus, almost killed the bus driver. Any normal girl would have been like, this bloke needs serious mental evaluation. Was that that drug and juice, psychosis? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that. When did you start using drugs? When I was about 16, mm. 17. What were, you, what were you using? Ice. Ooh. Straight straight to it. Like, I had a couple of eckies here and there at raves. I used to go to rave seats when I was a kid, you know? First utopia I went to, I, I, was, I was popping eckies first time I ever had them, you know? I was fucking best night of my life. Mm. Oh, best night ever, but I didn't really like them, you know what I mean? Because I couldn't, I, I didn't know what was going on. And then a family member of mine was selling ice. Like, and this is when it was just coming, like... Yeah, it's converting from speed to ice. Yeah, it was like, when he first got it, he had it in the freezer because it was ice. He didn't mm. know what, like... And then 
he had some one of his older mates come around and he goes do you know what this is and he's like yeah he goes, his mate said he goes this is some bad shit he goes i wouldn't have anything he goes if you're going to do anything with this he goes don't do it from the house he goes and don't ever touch it you know what i mean he goes i've seen people hide in roofs for days because of this shit he was getting it when it was shabu you mm. know what i mean like from the philippines yeah yeah proper like proper proper meth so he was selling that you know and then he would go with his girl out for two three days or whatever he never touched it never touched it he was one of the smartest drug dealers i ever met you know what i mean He'd teach me how to weigh up and do all that stuff, you know. I'd sit in his room and play the PlayStation all day. Weighing up is what you get the, the, the you put the, the drugs on the scales and, you know, by worth, like, you know, yeah. and, you know, point is worth $100, two points, you know, quarter, quarter of a gram is worth, what, 300 or 250 bucks. Yeah, so he'd teach me how to, you know, do all that. He'd go out for the day or whatever and then I'd be there and then, I don't know, one day I was just, I'm like, what the fuck's the big fuss about all this, you know what I mean, like... How do you smoke it? So anyway, when I seen someone, I dropped off. I'm like, how are you smoking this? You know what I mean? And he's like, well, you can smoke it in a foil or in a pipe. I'm like, what sort of pipe? It's like a glass one. I'm like, you got one? He's like, yeah, I got one. Like, anyway, I'll go give it here. So he give it to me. I've gone home and I've put some in. Burnt the fuck out of it. Just full blood barbecued <laughs> it, bro. I'm just sitting there and watching it. I'm just by the I'm winging it by then, you know. I've never seen anyone do it. Mm. So it starts smoking up and it coming out the top, and I'm just. I tried it and I was up for like three days, man. I hated it. Oh my god, I hated it. I was like, this is just. I'm rolling around in my room like a pig in shit. It's fucking four in the morning. I can hear the birds coming up. Oh, it was just a nightmare, you know. And then um, I didn't touch it really after that. I started getting into the speed, mm. you know, going to parties having bass and goey and all that and then yeah then i stopped stopped really doing drugs i started smoking pot that would send me crazy after a while smoking pot so i'd stop doing that and then yeah i just stopped really doing all drugs and was really smashing my music drinking yeah. a lot and how was the music going like what tell us tell us about it. you start when was the first gigs and that sort of what happened there so my first gig would have been it was a hip-hop event called sure shock it was in north sydney park that would have been in 2005, I think it was. I was 15. And you're up on stage? Yeah, you just, I'd never been on stage before. <laughs> wow. You've got all these graffiti writers from all over Sydney, you know what I mean? So back then you didn't have social media. No one knew what anyone really looked like, you know mm. what I mean? Unless they drop a tag on the board or mm. you social with, you socialise with other graffiti writers. So I'd, had put, I'd put music out before that, you know what I mean, under Enter, but no one really knew what I looked like, you know, because we... We were you, getting, were you getting some good responses to it? Yeah, I was getting, like, you could put your music up on MySpace mm. and you could max out, you'd only get, like, 1,500 plays a day. That's how much MySpace would allow you. I was clocking that every day mm. on every song. How did, how did that feel, man? Like, no one here, because through your graffiti, you wanted to be noticed, and here, yeah. here it is, you're getting noticed for your music. Yeah, just, I don't know, it was, it was weird. And then we done the Shore Shock thing and then, because I was so young, I couldn't get into a lot of gigs. I had to sneak in, like mm. jump the back fence or like walk in on the side of people or, you know, give the second 50 bucks and say, look, I'm just going to go do these couple songs and then I'm bouncing, you know. Mm. I remember one day at Bar Broadway, like I'm the reason why they got it shut down, hip-hop gigs there. I got caught, I was like 16 years old, walking down the stairs with two jugs of beer <laughs> by two coppers <laughs> at a gig there. They're like, yeah, 18. I'm like, yeah, blind. Mm. And then they shut down. I'm 18 down. schooners deep. That's yeah. what I am. That was the end of them days and then it was more that you more had like little local pub gigs you know they weren't big like they are now you mm. know and then we were doing that 
like our crew was doing doing that, putting out music and that, and then we sort of all just like died off, you know, like I stopped doing music, I had kids, my missus was pregnant, so I was sort of focused on that. My brother was in and out of jail, uh, my cousin was in and out of jail. Uh, Sky, I don't know what she was up to, she just had her own demons going on. And then uh, it seems st- like everyone in the culture sort of has their own demons. Would it be mm. fair to say? Yeah, of course. Mm. Yeah. And through through you, you you know you you are expressing how you're feeling. Do you find do you think it was therapeutic for you? Yeah, yeah, it really was. Like when I write my sort of sad style music, that's like I get, I get it. you can tell what sort of mood I am in when I'm writing music. You know, like if I'm writing real sad style music and it's depressing that's how i'm feeling at the time you know what i mean like i'm not doing too well in the head or i'm smashing sleeping tablets like the valiums and that used to have a bad valium habit i think everybody has at one stage but Mm. um just yeah my sort of mood kicks off my music you know if i'm doing real catchy full hardcore street music then like I'm, i'm 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 back to my best sort of music you know like but um, it was very, very... I could get a lot of things off my chest when I wrote sort of sad style music and it was a way I could relate to losing my mum. I could put it through music, you know? Mm. That's amazing. Yeah. What was it like, mate? Your first child come into your life. How good's that? Crazy. Yeah. Very crazy. Uh, I didn't know. I was still a kid myself. How old were you? Just turned 16. So my daughter is 15. And how old are you now? 33. Wow. Yeah. That must be an amazing relationship. Yeah, oh, it's the best, man. She's she's hectic. Like, I was always scared to have a girl, you know what I mean? Because. Yeah, you got to buy bullets. You know what I mean? You got to buy bullets for guns, and you got to. That's why I, I always said if I if I have a daughter, you know, I've got to get at least a sawn off shotgun. Like I said to my missus, I said, she's just a jail sentence for me waiting to happen. Mm. I said, all it takes is for the some boy to say the wrong thing about her. I said, and I'll rip his fucking throat out. But. She's cool, man. Like, she doesn't... Like, on the weekends, she doesn't want to go to the Westfields and hang out or she doesn't want to go to, like, parties and all that. She just kicks back in her room playing her phone, uh, playing her game, like, Fortnite or whatever. Like, I'll be upstairs in my room on the PlayStation. She'll be in her room and she's like, do you want to, like, message me? you want to play Fortnite's duos? I'm like, yeah, go jump on, you know? Like, she listens to all the same sort of style music I do, you know what I mean? Like, she's just like a mate. She's mm. just like a mate, you know, and... Did that bring, for you, did that bring stability into your life? Yeah. When you had your daughter? Yeah, I stopped fucking around being stupid. Like, I still had some sort of, like, I still had some things going on. I wasn't completely out of it all, but I, I was doing things a lot smarter and a lot different to keep the money coming, you know what I mean? I didn't I didn't really want to work back then. I didn't know how to work. I was too scared to go to work. I wouldn't know what to do. But now, having all the kids that I do, it's like... How many you got? Five. Well, and you got one with a, young, a boy with autism, yeah? Yeah. So uh, my eldest boy, he's 10, and he's got autism, so... I've I reckon they're gifts, eh, kids with autism? Oh, he's a freak. He's hmm. a freak. Like, we first noticed it when he'd have all these toys, these dinosaurs, and what he used to do was he used to line them all up in a herd, and then he had his dinosaurs, and then he had these jungle animals, and then safari animals, and he would line them all up in a line. And they would go all the way out of his room down the hallway, all even. And I'd walk past and I'd whack the back leg of one and it would stick out like that and he would push it back in, you know what I mean? Like everything's got to be intact. So that's when I first noticed, I'm like, all right, there's something there's something different with him. Not weird, not strange, you know what I mean? Because mm. it's not weird or strange, it's just, it's different, you know? 
and um, so we got him checked out and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, come back, he had um, autism, but we didn't be, we weren't like, oh, you know, or fuck, what are we gonna do? You know what I mean? Like, it's just it happens, and it's not the end of the world. You know what I mean? Like, he's not dumb. He's not a retard. You, know you wouldn't want I mean? it any other way, would you? Nah, I couldn't picture him not having autism like you know if it's, it sounds weird but like that's him that's his character that's his nature like he's the brightest boy you know what i mean like and he's so funny like just the things he says and he does you know because like, he's verbal at first he was non-verbal so it was very hard you mm. know what i mean it was very very hard all the way up until he was like seven he was non-verbal so we didn't you know like and it was hard on my missus too because like it's her it's her first son that's her little boy you know mm. what i mean like mums and sons you know what they're like yeah. they bond and she, she, he, he loves his mum. Like, it's very hard for her because she can't go anywhere without him. You know, like he's connected to her hip. Not too dissimilar for the, to you and your mum. Yeah, very similar. So, um, but he's just he's he's a weapon. Like, I brought him a PS Five and I left it in the box. You know, and I'm like, I'll set it up. I'll set it up in a minute. You know, I've just got home. No, nah, he's come over and grabbed it, taken it to the TV, ripped it all out, bang, had it all set up flicked through the channel got it on the right channel and just sat there waiting for me to put all the PSN in so he could so he could play like he's a freak he watches like Minecraft videos on how to build things and you should see some of the stuff he's built on his land mm. I said to him yesterday I was going I said you build that he goes yep I said you sure did you build it he goes yep and I clicked out and looked at the name and it said his name in the it said Tiger's Land. That's his name, Tiger. Yeah. Yeah. So. Is that his actual name? Yeah, Tiger. Yeah. What a yeah. cool name. Yeah. A, that's a strong name. Mm. Mate, you encountered cancer, mate. Yeah, I did when I was 27. I had uh, non-Hodgkinson lymphoma cancer on the kidney. I had a 12-centimetre lump mass and a 11-centimetre mass. Two big circle orange-looking things. How did that come, like... When did, you, mate, did it freak out when you knew that? Yeah, so I was really struggling to put on weight. I, I, I couldn't put on weight and I was eating. But every time I'd eat, I'd vomit. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on with me? Like, And I'd be at work and I'd eat breakfast before getting up on the roof and I'd vomit. And my supervisor's like, bro, bro, you need to get that checked out. You know what I mean? And one of my mates, I was standing on Forest Road one day at Hurstville speaking to one of my mates. And he's like, he walks over, he's like, fuck it, bro, you got to stop chopping in. I said, what do you mean? He goes, you you got to stop chopping in. He's like, you look skinny, bro. I'm like, I'm not fucking chopping in. What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, whatever, bro. Don't forget me when you're getting on, like, you know, trying to make a joke of it. I'm like, fuck, I'm not chopping in. So I'm at work one day here at Parramatta. We're working on the Meriton, the new one they just built. I'm on the roof. That's what I used to do. I used to install safety anchors and lifelines on the roofs of all the high rises in the city and that. And I've gone to pick this ladder up and I felt like a pop in my back. And I'm like, and like it was like locked, you know? I went home and then I've gone to the hospital that night. I'm in that much pain, I can't move. The hospital's like, oh, you slipped a disc, you slipped a disc, whatever, go home. Start, fed me up on endones, whatever. So anyway, the, I went to get an ultrasound on my back because I was just off, off work for too long, you know? And um, I'm at Cronulla. Guy me getting this ultrasound at Guy me Station across the road. And the doctor and the lady are like looking at each other. You know what I mean? And they're talking and they're looking back at me and I'm like, what the fuck? What are you talking about? He's like, no. So anyway, he's like, we're going to send the results to your doctor at Hurstfield. Go see him. And I'm like, all right, sweet. But they were taking forever, like, t- to come out of the room. I wanted to speak to him. So I thought, fuck this, I'm going. So I went to the Hurstfield at the doctor's, waiting there for the paperwork to come through. 
nothing had come through yet. So I'm like, I'm going home, bro. So I went home, I'm having a nap. My missus wakes me up. She's like, the doctor's on the phone. So I go, yeah, what's up? He's like, you need to come here, get this envelope and go straight to emergency. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, just come straight here, get the envelope and go straight to emergency. I'm like, all right, sweet. So I went up there, got the envelope and I'm like asking him, he's like, I can't tell you, I can't tell you. I'm like, all right, whatever. I left and I opened the envelope when I got it. He told me not to open it. It was, had a sealed thing on it, you know, don't open. I ripped it straight open and it said um, mass could be cancerous or whatever like that. So I started freaking out, rang my missus. I'm like, they're saying I got cancer. She's like, what do you mean? I'm video caught her. I'm like, look, look, you know what I mean? I get to the hospital and they've got me in the hospital for like six, seven hours in this room. You know, I've got doctors coming in. They're doing all these sort of checks. They're playing with my legs. They're playing with my kidneys. They're playing with my balls. It was crazy. And then um, I was on the ward for like two months after that. Did you get chemo? Yeah, so they done a they done a bone marrow on my back. They stuck a needle in my spine, oh. bro, and I was awake when they done it. Oh. This is like my brother. They said we need your brother to come in because in just in case we need to do a bone marrow, he's going to be a match. Mm. So my own brother was booked in to come into the hospital and didn't show up. Left me with it sitting in the hospital. You know what I mean? I've never ever forgiven him for that, and he won't. He, we had a talk about it one time, you know, he was staying with me for a bit and he's like, why are you always, you know, so cold towards me, this and that? And I just, I sort of just let loose. I'm like, this is why you piece of shit. I'm like, I was laying in hospital with fucking cancer and I needed a bone marrow transplant. I said, you were the only match. I said, and you didn't rock up to the hospital because you were too busy fucking running around out there being stupid. I said, that's why. So I've never forgiven, I never will forgive him for that. You know what I mean? Tough ever, one, man. Ever, I'll never forgive him for that, you know, like. So I had to do that. And luckily they didn't need the bone marrow, but they still took it anyway. Mm. You know what I mean? And it hurt. And then I used to go from the hospital, uh, from home to the hospital to do chemo. And then I remember I started losing my hair, my eyebrows. That was scary. Losing my hair and that, you know, I was washing my hair and then it just started falling out, like literally just patches of hair falling everywhere. Did yeah. you think you were gonna, there was a cross in your mind, you were gonna die? Yeah, I had a mental breakdown. I ended up in a mental ward because of it, because I just, like we lived in a unit then too me and my missus we lived in a three bedroom unit a two bedroom unit sorry so me and my missus room and then we had five other kids in the one room you know what I mean hmm. on single beds just I was like is this my life you know what I mean I'm 27 I'm going to die in a two bedroom unit with seven of us and leave these kids with nothing and leave my partner with nothing like it just hit a real low point you know and I was smoking heaps of pot too so it wasn't really well for my mental you know I just had a breakdown one day just things got way too much so, and I tried to, just tried to over, overload myself on sleepers. And when my missus called the ambulance, they come and got me, took me. And then when I woke up, they put me in uh, Cogger Acute Care. And the cancer doctor come and see me. It's funny how things happen because this is a crazy story. This was towards the end of my treatment, you know. I'm doing all this chemo, I'm fucked up, I'm skinny. Uh, I can't go out in the cold, uh, immune to everything. I couldn't even be around my kids without a face mask on, you know what I mean? The doctor comes and sees me, the cancer doctor. He's walked over to the mental ward, whatever it is. So, like, Michael, what are you doing here? You know what I mean? And two days before that, I'd gone for a PET scan to see the process of the chemo. I go, what do you mean? When I go, I'm going to die. I go, I'm going to fucking die at 27. I go, look what I'm going to leave behind, my missus and my kids. And he's like, you're not going to die. And then, um, okay, like, you know, abusing him. How do you know this and that? And he threw the paperwork on my bed. And he's like, your cancer results come back. He goes, you're 100% clear. <sighs> oh. Went a lot our way. Bro, I could have died. I could have, like, I just... Literally? Yeah, I just dropped to my knees. I said, are you serious? He's like, yeah. He's like, pack your bag, man, go home. 
you know what I mean? And the nurse is like, oh, he has to be about you. The doctor's, the doctor's like, look, this is the reason why he's here, you know what I mean? I'm sure his mental status is going to change after just being told he's got no cancer. But then they called me back up about seven months later and, and they're like, you need to do regular checkups every six months. I'm like, what for? They're like, because the cancer you got, it's for old people. They normally get it and, and then they cure it and they die. He goes, but because you're so young, he goes, it's going to come back. He goes, so you're going to have this cancer coming and going and for the rest of your life. He's like, so we can treat it, but we can't cure it. I go, so you're telling me I'm going to go through all this chemo shit and that again? He's like, eventually, yeah, he goes, it's going to come back. So that's why I do checkups every, like, three, four months and I get these injections in my stomach to, like, keep it away. Mate, that must be horrible. Yeah, no, you're, you're like you're living with that. Yeah, because I don't know if I'm going to wake up one day and I go get a scan and I get the results, you know. But this time I'm more prepared for it, you know what I mean? I'm not, like... Last time I was I was scared, I, like, it, it got on my mental. Like, people are like, oh, just be strong. But it's like, bro, you're not the one getting needles shoved in your arms. I got a, I was getting blood tests every day for, like, three months. So I got that used to them, I'd be asleep if they'd give me a blood test, you know? Like, and it really fucks with your mental. So once you can get over that and you're like, all right, I got this. And that's what my missus said, you know what I mean? Like, when the doctor said that, she's like, all good, you know what I mean? She's like, we've got it. She goes, we know what's coming. She goes, we've been through it before. She goes, we can do it again. She's like, we know what we've got to do, you know what I mean? She goes to me, she goes, it's up to you to stay strong up here. And she'll support you, yeah. Yeah, she's like, if you fall apart, I fall apart. She goes, so we've got to stay together, like, keep it together for each other, you know? And I'm like, yeah, so we're ready. If it comes back, we know what we've got to do, you know what I mean? Like, Man, that's inspirational, man, I tell yeah. you. That fucking, I draw strength out of that, man. Yeah. All right, so just talk talk about you know the you know the, your career with the music, man. Because man, like when I've told people on TikTok or whatever Instagram, like, mate, you've got so many people who love you and love your music, and yeah, and have told and they said can't wait for this to come out. Take us on a journey where you where you've went with your music. I've been everywhere. Yeah, it all started. The first time I ever went on tour was because of Cursor. So mm. Cursor was the one that, like, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have went on tour. The, when I first did you know what I mean like I was my, my my cousin was DJing for Curse and this is when Curse was blowing up like just really just put his finger in a honey pot and just you know what I mean like the game was his mm. still is the Aussie hip hop scene anyway so my, my cousin's DJing for Curse and this is when he's going on the Nebulizer tour I think it's the Nebulizer tour or do the Curse tour it was one of them but it was like his second ever tour he goes to Schema, he's like, you should try and get your, your, your cousin on, you know what I mean? Try and get him on. And by then, like, I'm at home doing the family thing. I'm, I'm, I'm selling drugs from my house, so um, that's, that's my life there, you know. I had no interest in doing music. So my cousin's reached out to me, like, we curse, I want you to come on tour with us, you know what I mean? He's like, write a song and drop a song, like, just so you can... I'm like, all right, sweet, so... I hadn't done music, mind you. I'd stopped doing music when I had my when I had my daughter. So it's been a few years, six, seven years. I hadn't done music. Obviously, Cursor was inspired by you as well. Yeah, like Curse told me, he's like, I used to listen to your music when you were Sydney Searchers back in the day. You know what I mean? He's like, I, I, I was a big fan of your music. So I dropped this track called The Return. That was like the first sort of song that was real gritty house. like I'm down in the houses. You know what I mean? I've come give out. us a line. Give us a f- your favourite line out of the song. Uh, I kicked it off with raised in the house, those straight from the gutter. That's how I kicked it off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's that's just pure mm. Sydney right there. You know? Yeah. yeah so I dropped that, and then um, after that I got hit up by Hustle Hard, uh, Malik Suka, 
uh, he messaged me. He's like, hey, bro, my name's Malik. I run Hustle Hard. would love to get you on the channel, you know? He's so, done some good interviews, that guy. Yeah. So we shot the video for the return on his channel and then everything after that was just on Hustle Hard. I was just pumping it with him, you know? And then Kirsch was like, bro, come on tour with us, you know? So I, I'd had a few tracks backed up to go on tour to do. So I went on tour with Kirsch. We went to Brisbane. Uh, we went to Melbourne. We went to Perth. Where Big crowds, huh? Yeah, we went to Gold Coast. Back then, like that was that was the biggest crowds of I'd ever done. You know what I mean? Like, and they were there for him. And then the last show of the tour was Sydney. It was at um, George Street, the Factory Theater. It was like seven hundred people there, man. Mm. Like seven hundred people, like. Acts coming from overseas weren't even filling that place to 700 people. Like, he was a big fucking deal back then. And he only got bigger. So, um, yeah, that was the last sort of thing I really done with Curse. We had a bit of a falling out after that. Just stupid shit, you know what I mean? Like, it was more me, you know what I mean? Like, my ego got the better of me. It's like, we had this mad time on tour and then it's like, you found a new group of friends. He was still with his day one mates, but it's like, you found a new group of friends and then like, I sort of said some shit I shouldn't have said. He'd come back with some things like he shouldn't have said, and it was just sort of tit for tat, you know what mm. I mean? And it was like a lot of people in our both of our ears, but I initially kicked it off, which I shouldn't have. I should have just kept my mouth shut. Yeah, it was just more of an ego sort of thing, you know? He's a sweet now, eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah we're, we're, we, when we talk, we don't talk music at all. No. no. Strictly just family, you know? How's your missus? How's your kids? Yeah, he's really family-orientated yeah. too, isn't he? Yeah, you know? He's, same, he's same, not too dissimilar. He's, he's been April, his girlfriend, for yeah. forever and a day. A long time. And she's a good girl, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, she... I remember when I first met her, so I was going to his house at um, Ingleburn, and we are going over there writing music every day, all the time. And every afternoon he's like, bro, I've got to go to the train station, come for a walk, you know what I mean? And I'm like, bro, I'm going to cruise now anyway. So I walk down the station with you and should be at work while he's at home doing music, you know what I mean? Supporting him, going to work. That's early days, huh? Yeah. It's not like that now. Nah. And she would pick her up from the train station and I'd walk home like, and this is when he didn't have a dollar in his pocket, mm. you know what I mean? Like, we'd bum a smoke on the way up to the station or some random on the street and go halves in it at the station. Like, Very much like Tupac, isn't it? Like, yeah. the story, like the, the, those early stories of, of rappers, yeah. yeah. Earlier you, you, you talked about going to a youth convention. I, I, I'm aware, you know, that you're, you've got a passion for working with youth, and you and I have discussed this, mate. Mm. You know, where's that coming from, mate? What do you want to do there? What's your aim? I want to be a youth mentor, like... That's what I want to do. That's 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 the goal at the end. I want to work with troubled kids, um, kids that are in the system, kids that are out of the system. Like I go to Moree a lot um, and work with kids there. On predominantly indigenous kids up there. Yeah, way, yeah, all indigenous. Mm. Um, the best kids, man. Like mm, the yeah. best. They got the best heart. A lot of them are just misunderstood. You know, like they just. A lot of people are taken back with how they talk or how they act or how they carry on but that's just who they are you know what I mean they don't know any different um, and a lot of these kids they're just they're just happy to have someone sit and spend the time with them and show them you know what I mean like I go up there spend seven eight hours in a room with these kids writing music and they just they just thrive off it they love it you know what I mean like I see them in town or whatever and they're like what are you doing let's go over and kick back with them like it's mad. Oh, yeah. So that's what I. That's what I want. I want to be a youth mentor. Like I want to go into a place and work with troubled kids and and and, and teach them that like even though you might come from this sort of 
troubled background and this troubled upbringing, your life doesn't have to revolve around that. You can break the cycle and like I can show you how to do it. You know what I mean? You've got the tools to do it. Let's put him into action. Do you think music creates a creative outlet that's an alternative than crime? You know? Yeah. Going out Mount Druitt and kids are rapping. Two mm. little kids are sitting across the street. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's rapping now. Like one four and 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 hefts and that they really kicked that off for the, the the polynesian side of music you know what i mean like you had your polynesian rappers but they were rapping in american accents mm. they weren't really doing it though they, they wanted to be american they yeah. were influenced by america yeah but once one four and and hef start ripping in with the aussie accent and, and and doing it the way they'd done it it showed these kids that come from like Mount Druitt and Doonside and yeah, that, Town. that don't have much that like, hey, these kids, they come from where you come from too. You can do it. You know what I mean? It's just, it's I awesome. love it. Yeah, love I think it. it's mad. I, 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 and those same, that, all of those same boys would have just spent their whole lives in jail, even though a lot of them are in or out of jail, but they would have spent their whole lives just gone. Yeah. Where to from here, brother? Where, where are we going? What's doing with your music, man? Because, man, you're just too good to fucking retire. Nah, I'm just, I've got a lot of personal things that I've got going on, you know what I mean, at the moment. Nothing hectic, it's just my, my, my like the cancer thing we talked about before, you know what I mean? Like I had a bit of a scare a few months ago, they found some lumps in the same spot. I've still got them there, so I've got to get them treated and that. But um, I'm just in the middle now of setting up the studio back at home, really getting them back into the full swing of things. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to drop an album this year. I want to kick off my own sort of podcast show as well you know what I mean and just have different people on there and get their aspects of of their life I think you'd be amazing at it what you'll bring to the table doing podcasts I have no doubt you'll be a superstar with the podcasting because everyone's got a story to tell you know like and and a lot of our stories are similar yeah I know a lot of kids that have got a similar story just like man I know a lot of kids that have got it worse worse than what I had you know what I mean but you know what you have? You have an amazing ability to forgive, like, you know what I mean, and overlook it, like what you went through your mother. Some kids could have grown up with resentment, but you just look for the good in her. Well, I had the recipes to be a complete fuck-up, you know what I mean? I had mum dead, abused as a child, all that sort of stuff put into a ball. You don't really have a way out. That's just a pathway to nowhere, you know what I mean? What do you say to kids that have gone through all of that? How did, what, what's, your, what's the blueprint to get out of there? You've got to be headstrong. You've got to want it. You've got to want to break that cycle, you know what I mean? If you if you just repeat the cycle, it gets passed on to your kids and it's, it goes through generations. Like, my dad's an alcoholic. My brothers that grew up with him now, they're sort of not going the same way my dad did, but my brother, he's going the same way my dad did on the drugs, you know what I mean, all that sort of thing. So you got to... You've just got to break that cycle. You've got to want it. You know what I mean. You've got to want to change. You've got to want. You've got to want different. You get tired of it. You get tired of it. You, you know just, what? That's how I broke mine. I just had enough. I was sitting in a prison cell, just going, "I've had enough of this." Yeah, it's it. I just wanted more out of life. Like I wanted my kids to grow up and not. It'd be fair to say, mate, you broke the, the generational trauma cycle of your own kids, man. Yeah. They're growing up and I love him. And that, I think, your daughter's reflective of your love. It's, yeah, it gets hard when the kids ask, oh, where's your dad, oh, where's your where's your mum, or where's your dad, or where's your... do I have cousins, do I have aunties, do I have uncles, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, no, you don't, you know what I mean? Because I don't want my kids to know that side of my family because then that just repeats a sort of cycle in a mm. way, you know what I mean? Like, you're, you're protective of them for oh, that. Oh, yeah, I'll kill anybody that ever hurts them, you know? Yeah. Enter, mate. Thank you very much for being... And, and thank you for being so transparent, man. And, being, and most of all, thank you for being authentic, brother. 
Nah, thank you for having me. It's, you know, sometimes a lot of things I say can be taken out of texture. Like I've seen things in other podcasts I've said before and people are like, oh, this guy's a fucking idiot, doesn't know what he's talking about. But it's like, bro, come live a day in our lives, you know what I mean? Come live to how we grew up, like... Mm. And then you'll see it's not something it's not something I'm trying to glorify, you know what I mean? Like I'm just trying to tell my story, so On that note, Enter, thanks for being in the stick up, brother. Dead set pleasure having you here. Nah, thank you for having me. It's it's been awesome.